This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hey, welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. My name's Tom and I'm part of the Broadcast team. And today we're bringing you another episode from a conference called Breaking Ground. We've been, uh, for the last few weeks, sharing some talks from this event that was hosted by the Northern Gospel Project back in November. Northern Gospel Project's an initiative. A few local churches in Manchester came together and said, what if we helped one another? What if we supported each other in getting new churches planted where we can provide training and some care and some funding for planters? And broadcast is heavily involved with this, particularly with the training elements of it. So we put on this launch event back in November, and one of our guests was uh, Femi Osunoyi. Uh, and Femi came over from City Church Lagos, uh, where he's pastoring, uh, and he came to share. So we're bringing you this session from Femi, where he was talking about why you must be involved in church planting. Brilliant talk. I'm sure you're really going to enjoy it. So here's the talk. No further ado, Femi Osunoyi. So um, if you get out your Bibles uh, and turn up 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 15 to 20. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 15 to 20. Listen to the word of the Lord. You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaius arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Thank you. Thanks, um, uh, Ralph, and thanks, Tim, once again for the invitation. I'm really, really happy to be here, I have to tell you the truth, because, as I said, the, the North holds a special place in my heart. Um, I genuinely believe you can't come to this region of the UK uh, with one thing and live with, another, with, with the same thing. Um, it basically changes you. So I came here, and I never left the same after eight years, you know. When I came here, I had uh, one university degree. I left with a couple of degrees. Um, when I came here, I came as a bachelor, an unmarried person, and I left married. Uh, when I came here, I came without, I, was a, I wasn't a father, and I left as a father. When I came here, I had a hatred for Manchester United, and when I left, I had a profound hatred for Manchester United. <laughs> You know, so positive changes all around, as you can see. 
And one of the other changes that uh, occurred was that I saw the place, I spoke about some of the changes spiritually, but also theologically, uh, that happened here. I saw the place of the local church, the central place of the local church in fulfilling the mission of God. The central place of the local church in fulfilling the mission of God. And it wasn't just one local church, but it was churches that were helping one another. So you see, in the passage that Ralph just read for us, there's a small part in verse 19 there where it says that the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. It's Paul is writing from Ephesus, which is the central part of the province of Asia, and they're basically saying to the churches in Achaia, another province, and they're saying, they say hi. And the reason they're saying hi is because there was some form of interconnectedness between them. There was a friendly relationship between them that then led to partnership between them. And you know, the thing we can deduce here is because one of those churches was planted before the other. The one in Achaia, the Corinthian church, was planted before the Ephesian church. And now that they're saying hi, there's the first thing we can deduce from here is this. That once you become a Christian, you should be interested, or once you become a Christian, you should be in a local church. And once you're in a local church, you should be interested in seeing other local churches planted and growing as well. When you become a Christian, you should be in a local church. When you're in a local church, you should be interested and involved in seeing other churches planted as well. Why? Because the spread of the gospel comes with the planting of other churches. I'll put it in another way. As we are, I'm from City Church Lagos, far away. This is City Church Manchester meets here. We've got CCM, we've got other churches, Revelation Church, many different churches here. But whilst we are all part of different small C churches, we're all part of one big C church. And the way the big C church grows is by the planting of many more smaller C churches. And so in the brief time I have with you guys, I want to spend... I just want to talk to you about why you must be involved in church planting. Notice we didn't say why you should be involved. It's not an option. Why you must be. And I want to do so by answering two questions. What makes a church plant? And how can I get involved in a church plant? So let's start with the first one. What makes a church plant? Now some people, perhaps some of us here, will think that what makes a church plant is basically get a planter and that's it. The planter is the main person that is needed to get the church plant going. That's not true. And I'll explain why. But for us to do that, let's dig into some background into this passage that was read for us. You see, in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 and verse 11, we find that Paul has left the city of Athens, and he comes to the region of Achaia, or the province of Achaia, the central uh, city there, which is called Corinth, right? He leaves there and comes. And for a number of reasons, he eventually spends, as we're told in verse 11, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And so he planted a church in Corinth. Not long after that, then Paul decides to go to Ephesus with a few people who come back to those people. He goes to Ephesus. He doesn't spend a lot of time in Ephesus. He tells them that hopefully by the grace of God, maybe he'll come back. He tells the Ephesians that. And then he goes to see some other churches in some regions that he's planted, and eventually he comes back to Ephesus. Now, in between his two visits to Ephesus, there was a guy called Apollos. 
Apollos comes to Corinth in between Paul's visit to Ephesus. So Apollos is in Corinth and Paul gets to Ephesus. We see that in Acts chapter 19 verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. What was happening there at Corinth? Well, what was happening is after Paul had spent a year and a half in Corinth, obviously Paul's influence in, in Corinth was huge. But now that Apollos had gotten there, Apollos started to gain influence as well. And we church planters and pastors, we love it when somebody else has more influence than us in our churches, right? But this is essentially what is happening. Apollos is growing in terms of influence. In fact, his influence is growing so much that eventually there starts to develop some personality cults. Some people are of the Paul Brigade and are like, well, this Apollos just came not long ago. Why are you guys calling Apollos, Apollos, Apollos? It would be like the guys who started supporting United and now that city is on top, they move. That's what happens with our children. I have a son who I raised up to support Arsenal and he's supporting Tottenham. <laughs> I kid you not. We bought Tottenham, we bought Spurs memorabilia. I I couldn't. I, I almost didn't want to do it. But this is what happens. And so, these guys were asking themselves the question, who is more important for the church plant? Is it the person who planted the church or is it the person that grew the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Now, this sentiment is actually totally unbiblical, and Paul shows it. In fact, he shows it by extending the agricultural metaphor. You know, we're talking about planting and we're talking about growing. He extends an agricultural metaphor concerning this situation by showing them that they are actually criminally neglecting two other elements that are important in a church plant. So think about it this way. If you're thinking that you want to plant something and the thing that is most important is probably the one who plants the seed and the one who is the gardener that makes it grow. You are also forgetting that you need two other things. You need the good weather and you also need a field. I'll explain. First of all, a farmer must do what a farmer must do. But although he may be able to predict the weather, he's not able to create the weather. Prediction is not the same thing as creation. He may be able to sense it, but he doesn't mean he can make it. Sensing is not the same thing as making. The farmer still needs the weather to go in his favor. He still needs the rain to come down, and he really doesn't have any control over that because it's that rain that's going to come and bring the increase or the growth to the harvest. And in the same way, listen, you can have a very good planter but if this is a church under, the church under the leadership of God, then it must be God that sends the rain of his blessing and leads to growth. The growth may be numerical. The growth may be um, also qualitative. We look for both qualitative and quantitative growth. It is God that brings the increase. That's why it says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You need the blessing of God. But picture this. Imagine you have a farmer who now has all the technology and everything needed 
He somehow has the gift of prophecy, so he knows when it's going to rain. And then he takes his seed with all his knowledge. He knows it's going to rain at this period. And then he scatters his seed in the front pavement of his house. And so the rains come down. Full. What do you think would happen? Would it grow? No. Because he's planted it in the wrong place. He didn't plant it in the soil. He didn't plant it in a field. And so at the same time, we don't just need the weather to go right. We need to plant it in the right soil. And this is what Paul is getting at. He says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 3, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. They must play their role. But there's one more element that is needed in verse 9. The field is here. For we are co-workers, that's he and Apollos, in God's service. But you are God's field. You are God's building. You can have a planter. If you don't have people, you have no church plant. And it's not just that the people gather to make the church plant. It's that the people need to work together to ensure that this plant succeeds. Some people would call those people that are not the ministers. They would say they are ordinary people. Lay Christians. Mere folk. Listen, guys, there's nothing ordinary about those whom God has saved extraordinarily. There is nothing ordinary about those who God is transforming extraordinarily. And you guys form those parts. God has done something extraordinary in your life, and now he's saying, what I've done in you, I want to use to do through you. You may come in ordinary packages as people define what ordinary is, but what God can do with your work can be extraordinary. Now, so how, if people make a church plant, how can these people get involved in the church plant? And so I want to kind of quickly give you six things that you can do, um, but I'll do that by introducing three very important people in the New Testament, and they are not named Paul, Peter, or John. Actually, they are called Stephanas, Priscilla, and Aquila. And they teach us six things that you can do. So let's quickly run through them. First one, how can you get involved in a church plant? Well, before I tell you the first one, I want you to see something that it says here in verse 15. It says, you know the household of Stephanas, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I love when Ralph says, you guys are ministers. Because really the word service here, when you loosely translate it and go to Latin to the English, it gives you the word, it's the root of the word minister. He says, Stephanas, who is not known as some kind of apostle or pastor or what have you, he says, he and his household were devoted, devoted to the service of the Lord's people. So how can you be devoted to the service of the Lord's people? Well, Stephanas will teach us four things. Let's start. First one, you can testify. Notice what he says. He says, you know that the household of Stephanas, verse 15, were the first converts in Achaia. Now, again, this is using a Jewish agricultural metaphor. When it says first converts, in the Old Testament, we talk about the first fruits. And the first fruits are the first offshoots of the harvest. And literally, when you have the first fruits, you know that you are, about, you are expecting an abundance harvest. It would be like, for example, we know that the people who are champions at the time of Christmas will usually be the champions in May in the Premier League. I hope an Arsenal fan is catching the prophecy there. 
But really, that's what the first fruits are. And so, Stephanus, the household of Stephanus, must have been really encouraging for the church planter because once they saw that first fruits, they could anticipate that more was coming, that God has his people here. Now, how do you play the role? I don't know if you are the first convert in your own church plant or you are number two or number three, but God has made you in some way a prophetic statement that he's going to have more people. So your testimony matters. This is why we do baptisms. This is why Paul baptized the household of Stephanus. We see that in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 16. 16 yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Because the baptism itself is a testimony of what God can do. People see that. Some people, yes, will mock. Some people will scoff. But some people say, wow, you mean I can be made clean? Don't hold back your testimony. For those, it leads to the conversion of some sinners. But you know another thing it does? It leads to the inspiration of people who are saints already. And I tell you this, another reason why church plants are so important has been shown by all manner of research that actually... Church plants lead to the conversion of non-Christians way more than, the, than uh, more established churches. So testify about the goodness of what God has done for you. You have a story to tell. And maybe the circumstances of life at some point make you so jaded and you forget how sweet the name that Jesus sounds. Oh, it just takes somebody to testify and you remember once again. You can testify. The second thing is you can be, and wait for it, because this is what you expected when a guy from Lagos came. You can be generous. You see, it says here that he it was the household of Stephanus. To have a household meant it wasn't just his family, it meant that he probably had slaves. And he had other people that were living with him. In other words, he was a man of means. Can I tell you, financial generosity is critical for ensuring church planting. It just is. Many planters have been given financial lifelines to help continue the work of God. You know, I often like uh, to tell this when uh, in our academy we talk about fundraising. And if you think about the temple of the Lord. The temple represents the mission of God advancing because the meeting place between God and human beings. And so when Moses was about to set up the temple, the tabernacle, he asked for people to give and they gave generously. When David was going to take, was going to set up the things that were needed for the temple that Solomon was going to build, the people gave so much that eventually he was overwhelmed. And Paul was going on his mission to Rome. He said that I was passing by so that you can support me as I go to Spain. And even Jesus in Luke chapter 8, he says that he had three women that were following him and that they supported the ministry. Guys, is it possible that our lips often tell that we are Christians, but our bank statements don't? And here's where I do want to challenge you. Because as Christians, we believe in sacrificial giving. I know that we have to plan a trip to Mabea. I know we want to go to Ibiza and all of those places. But God calls us to be different. Because at the end of the day, what God has given to us really belongs to him, not us. He gives it to us in a way to entrust us with it. We are trustees, we are stewards. And we are stewards to, of the graces of God, not for ourselves. Because anytime you keep the grace of your God for yourself, 
it makes you fat and it blows you up. But when you allow it to flow through you, then God says, here is a channel I can trust. Can God trust you with his wealth? Because it's given so that the kingdom may advance. When we left here in 2015, we really didn't have much. We just had pledges from people. But there were some people I'll never forget because even up until today, we still receive blessings from them. I remember the Fernleys in our old church. I remember Alex McGon, now Alex Fenwick. I remember Sarah Bradley. I remember the Oshinugas. I remember um, um, uh, 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 John and Lois King. Some of those people continue to give to our church even today because they realized even though they couldn't go with their legs and their hands and their feet, they could go with their pockets as well. Now, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Continue to give to your local C church. That's a commitment you must make. But also consider giving to the larger C church. Find a church plant. If your church is actually sending out some people, they make the extra sacrifice. You say, well, it's a time of high inflation. High inflation does not exist in the heavens. God is able to provide abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Maybe I'll plug in one more thing. Yesterday it was announced that Northern Gospel Project is trying to raise a certain amount. They're 9%, 9% um, to that now. There's another 91 to go. Can we consider trying to allow that target to go down? I think we can. You can have a God that can't do that. Amen? Third thing is you can lead. In verse 16, it says, submit to such people. Submit to such people. When Paul is asking them to submit to people like Stephanus, he's indicating that he's a leader. Now, whether he was an elder or a pastor isn't clear. Here's what's clear. He led. And the church plant needs leaders. It needs leaders. Whether it needs elders or, notice what he says, he says, submit to such people and to everyone who joins the work and labors at it. He's saying that the leadership is not just about your position, it's also about your function. Leadership is not just about the title, it's about responsibility. And any planter, any leader will tell you this. Why we look for leaders is because leaders always multiply growth. There's a problem here and they respond. And you can lead in a variety of ways. Don't just wait to be given a title. Respond. Don't aim for positions. Aim to function. Don't be a bystander. Be an exemplary leader. In the early days of our church, when people used to ask me, what can we pray for? Let them ask for growth. In fact, if you ask for growth before you have the leaders to help you with that growth, it can actually explode. We always ask for leaders, leaders, leaders. And God has been faithful to answer that prayer. And so many of you will find yourself in positions where you're waiting for someone to do something. No, God has put his spirit in you. You can do something about it. Church plants need leaders, not just the ones with positions, but the ones who take responsibility. So important for us in our church that we've codified it as one of the eight things that define the culture of our church. Leadership means so much because the first form of leadership is to lead yourself. And if you lead yourself well, then you will lead others. That's why Jesus says, follow me. That's leading yourself. 
you've said, I'm no longer following the world, I'm following Jesus. Now, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. If you lead yourself well, you will lead people as well. The church needs leaders. One more thing that Stephanus shows us is this. I love this one. I wish we were the last one. He says, and he says this about uh, Fortunatus and Achaicus, who are probably um, uh, slaves of, of Stephanus. We're not quite sure. But he says this. He says, they have supplied what was lacking from you. I was glad when they all came, arrived, because they've supplied what was lacking from you, for they have refreshed my spirit. Such men deserve recognition. You can refresh. You can refresh. Church planting is hard. And I have to say it's hard for the planter as well. The planter can get easily discouraged. Many times what we dream of and what is in reality doesn't actually help. Some of the planters that are here during COVID will tell you that it was one of the most difficult times they've gone through. And they had to keep giving and giving and giving. And you're never really appreciated for it. Can you be someone that is different in your church? Not just someone who is taking, but someone where your planter or your pastor can say, oh, and I love her so much. She refreshes my spirit. We don't just need that from fellow pastors. We need that from the people that we lead. I have someone in our church like that. His name is also Femi. Femi is a guy of means. God has been extremely um, good and kind to him in the area of his finances. But the thing that strikes me most about him is his kindness and his generosity. And I say that because the first thing that he did was he noticed not me, he noticed my family. When everyone else would want to speak to him, when he get something, he was speaking to my wife. He was taking my boys out for ice cream. He was taking my boys out in, uh, in the latest. My boys like cars, and Femi likes cars. And they're like, wow. I'm like, yeah, daddy will never afford that. But at least you have Uncle Femi that can take you there. And then we meet about three times in a year, and he just asks me, how are you doing? How are you doing? Do you feel discouraged? How's the church? Is the church good where it is? How are you coping with that? Everyone needs a Femi. And maybe you can be that kind of person who, as it were, pours cold water on the heat of your planter, your pastor's soul, and say, ah, I've just tasted from Bob again, and I feel refreshed. One of the other reasons I like meeting with Femi is because we discuss his businesses. And it's not like I'm necessarily going to apply some of the things that he says in his businesses to the church, but here's what I get. I get a can-do spirit. I always leave revived. When I hear he's opening this business, opening this business, I'm like, he's doing that in supposedly the world, but in a Christian way. We can do this. And for some of you, it's going to be, you take some of your transferable skills in your secular work or in your secular life, and you can bring that to refresh the people that lead in your church. Refresh. And not only just them, their family members as well. Now, apart from the greetings in the church in Asia that we see in verse 19, Paul, who is now, um, uh, uh, it's not just the church as it were that is, that is sending their greetings to, to the guys at Corinth. It's also Priscilla and Aquila. And he singles them out because they were also in Corinth at some point. 
And so he says that they send their greetings. These guys were an extraordinary couple. You see, they met Paul in Corinth, in Acts chapter 18, verses 2 to 3. We read that, they, um, that uh, because Claudius, okay, then, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. He stayed and he worked with them because they had the same vocation. But in that working with them, what you find is that Paul started to teach them. They started to learn from Paul. And so the fifth thing you can do is to teach, and I'll show you why. They started to learn from Paul. They were eager to learn to learn theology, to learn about the mysteries of Christ. Please, guys, never ever try to put yourself down and say, well, theology is for those people who just are called to ministry. We are all called to ministry. And that will serve you very well because at some point you may come across a guy called Apollos. You see, after they spent time with Paul, both they and Paul went to Ephesus together the first time that Paul left. And after Paul left, then Apollos first came to Ephesus before he went to Corinth. Who did he meet in Ephesus? Well, he met Priscilla and Aquila. It says, meanwhile, in 18 verse 24, Acts 18 24, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Thorough, but inadequate as we yet see. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord Jesus, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, semi-accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. So according to the teachings of John about the Messiah, Apollos was absolutely staggering. He understood everything there, but he didn't know what had happened beyond that. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. You may, not be as, you may not be as articulate as Apollos. You may not have all his learning, or you may have more true learning than he has. Don't mistake the fact that planters, when they come, because they've gone to seminary, they know everything. You know, one of the things I love seeing in gatherings like this is people with gray hair, people with glasses, People, you know, who you can see the time of life has gone through them and yet they're still standing. And there are a number of you here. Can I say that the church needs you? You are not at the end of your season. You're at the beginning of a new season. You've gone through so much. You've learned so much. And sometimes a brash kind of planter comes in with all their zeal and they've not seen too much. And you can just invite them to their home and teach them the way of the Lord more. And sometimes it may be that actually you've spotted a rough diamond, a 16-year-old with zeal for the Lord, and you come and you tell him stories of what the Lord did in your day, and you pour, you pour fire behind him. And then you recommend him to the pastor and say, you need to look out for this guy, you need to look out for this girl. I think the Lord's hand is upon them. See, it says, Paul planted and Apollos watered. But you know, as Proverbs 11.25 tells us, Apollos could only water because he had been watered. 
Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters himself will be watered. Maybe there are some of you here. God has called you to water with your teaching, with your experience. Encourage people with the truth of God's word. Finally, you can be hospitable. You can be hospitable. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were veteran planters. And for some of us, that's what God has called us to. Not just the planters. We sometimes have apostolic people who will plant a church, put it together, and hand it over to leadership. What we don't find, and we don't often talk about, is apostolic couples. You see, Priscilla and Aquila were definitely Christians before they met Paul, because they couldn't have been Christians if uh, in Corinth. When Steph, uh, they couldn't have been converted in, in, in Corinth, because Stephanus was the first convert. So they were already... Christians. They were Christians in Italy, in Rome. They left there, presumably part of the church plant there, and they go to Corinth. And guess what? They were part of the church plant in Corinth. And after they left Corinth, what happened? Where are they now? They are now in Ephesus. They are part of the church plant in Ephesus. They were serial church planters. And for some of us, that's what God has called us to do. And so you started in city church, and then you went to, what's the other church name? What? Trinity. And some of you, I'm sorry to say, Trinity, some people are going to leave you and go somewhere else. And so, God calls you. And the thing about veteran church planters like that is they know this. They know that they need to open their homes as an expression of opening their hearts. Little wonder that it was actually in opening their home. They invited Apollos to their home. And it was there that they taught him the word of God more accurately. Guys, can I say, we need to open our homes more. Maybe if you're like me, I don't like people coming to my house, but the Bible says that I need to create an extra room for people in my house. It's that simple. You know why? Because magical things happen at the kitchen table. Magical things happen in the living room. Magical things happen. Why? It's not because you are there, but it's because the Spirit of God is there. Open your homes and see the magic of God happen. And so that these are these six things. They're not exhaustive, but I think if you think about how you can take these six things, you'll see that you who supposedly is ordinary, God will do extraordinary things through you. And I can say that because of this. You see, these six things, they really do tell us about Jesus, don't they? Because in his incarnation, Jesus really testified to us about the goodness and the greatness and the love of God. He showed us that he was a generous God that gave his only son so that we will not perish but have eternal life. He showed us that he was the one, the second Adam, who could lead and succeed where the first Adam led and failed. And so that when he led and succeeded, he didn't just refresh our weary souls, he revived our dead souls. So that in his work now, we can follow in his teaching, in the way of the Lord Jesus. And part of that teaching is that we open up our homes because our hearts are open. Why? Because he was the one who showed us that he were, we were on his heart. And so he said, I am going to make a case for you. So that where I am, you can be also. I pray that the Lord will use you, supposedly ordinary folks, to change this city and change this region. Father, I pray for this people. I thank you, Lord, that you've gathered here people of faith. You've gathered here people that want to be used by you. 
I pray that they would not see themselves as ordinary, but they would see the extraordinary grace of God upon their lives. Help them to testify. Help them to be generous. Help them to lead. Help them to refresh. Help them to teach. Help them to be hospitable. Help them to do all the things you want them to do. To the praise and glory of your name. Through Christ we pray. Amen.